Shenandoah Springs Chapel is located on the banks of the Shenandoah River in West Virginia, where I live. The pastor is Porky Jones, only in West Virginia. He's been there over 20 years. He's a good preacher, and I love him. Last Sunday, as he was presenting the Lord's Supper, explaining the elements and what we believe, he was contrasting that with a pastor in the county, in that county, who did not believe in the miracles, who did not believe in the resurrection. And it was a reminder to me that we live in a time of theological confusion. It was a reminder to me that what you, Dr. Patterson and Mrs. Patterson, what you led the Southern Baptist Convention to do was so important, to reassert, to reaffirm the inerrancy, the infallibility of Scripture, absolutely essential. At 10 o'clock today, Eastern time, nine-year time, there was released something called the Nashville Statement. You want to look that up. Don't Google it while I'm speaking. But after we leave, Dr. Patterson was an original signatory. I was as well. And it's a statement on the LGBTQ phenomenon. It is absolutely necessary right now to be clear about the Bible and what the Bible teaches about everything, including sexuality. To speak the truth, and it's very important to speak the truth in love. This morning we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what I want to say to you is this. In a time, in a world of theological confusion and compromise, it's absolutely essential that we emphasize the gospel, that we declare it, that we define it, that we defend it. And I am president of National Religious Broadcasters, NRB, and we have a threefold mission. One, to advance biblical truth. Two, to promote media excellence. And three, to defend free speech. And I want to say to you, you may not be on TV, you may not be on radio, but if you're blogging or podcasting or YouTubing, there is a new threat to social media. And you've probably been seeing these stories in the last few weeks. We're launching something in the next two weeks called the Internet Freedom Watch. And we've been tracking ever since the Manhattan Declaration. Chuck Colson's app was thrown out of the App Store. We've been tracking Google, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth, and YouTube, social media censorship. And so if you're a pastor or a theologian, you need to join NRB. You go to nrb.org, and you'll be joining others who speak to 60 million listeners every week. That's not potential audience. Our members speak to over 60 million every week. We want you to be a part of that. But I mentioned the first mission point isn't defending free speech. It's advancing biblical truth. We want to make sure, as iron sharpens iron, 
there's a mutual accountability among broadcasters and even people on social media to be solid and to stand on the Word of God. It's absolutely essential. And broadcasters have not always done that in the right kind of a way. But this passage calls us to that kind of a stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, He was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Father, this is your word. We read it, and now we pray that you would allow us to understand it, to live it, to believe it, to apply it. In Jesus' name, we ask you. So, Paul has been writing about problems in the church, ethical problems. Paul has been writing about um, some theological confusion. And now he comes to some straight-out doctrine. And it's the greatest doctrinal chapter on the resurrection, the greatest section you'll find anywhere. And as I said, he's going to turn it to three ways. He's going to emphasize the emphasis of the gospel, that we ought to declare it. He's going to define it and say we must define it. And then he's going to say we must defend it. Now for the declaration, he just says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. And I want you to notice the word which. It's the same way in Greek. It's, a, it's an introduction to four sub-themes. Which I preached, which you received, in which you stand, by which you're saved. This is the declaration of the gospel. It's the emphasis of the gospel. 
I'm very pleased today to see a recovery of the word gospel. It's, um, it's something that was neglected over many years, even in our Southern Baptist life. I remember hearing people talk about gospel music, and I would listen to the song, and there wasn't actually a lot of gospel. It was kind of a country music, you know, or Southern gospel. Some of that maybe even in R.B., but uh, actually the gospel might not have been there. Um, that's a shame. Somebody said, oh, that's gospel preaching. The gospel actually maybe not there. Um, actually, some of these conferences, you've got things like the Gospel Coalition together for the gospel. Uh, I'm glad to see the emphasis on the word gospel, but actually we want to ask the question always when someone uses the word gospel, is it really the gospel? And uh, because that is the important thing. I mean, Paul is piling up with this relative pronoun. Um, he's saying, first of all, it's the gospel that I preach to you. Literally, it's the word gospel again. The gospel which I gospelized to you. So the word for preaching is actually gospelization, if I can make up a new word. For Paul, it's the same thing. The gospel I gospelized to you. The gospel I preached the first which. The second which, it's the gospel you received. A lot of us have heard interesting preaching, entertaining preaching, um, convincing preaching maybe, but the question would be, is it gospel preaching? And Paul is saying this is something which you receive, which, which you received. It's something on which you stand. He's piling up these words to talk about the centrality or the importance of gospel declaration. This is the thing to stand on. An experience is something you really can't stand on. A dream is something you can't stand on. A, a, an insight is perhaps something interesting, but you can't stand on it. But the gospel is something you can stand on. And finally, he says here, by which you're saved. This is the thing that saves. And that's why it's so important. Nothing else saves. It's only the gospel that saves. And, you know, I don't want to offend anyone, but um, actually, some people think if they're preaching Jesus, that's the gospel. Well, preaching Jesus is good, but it's not technically the gospel. Somebody might say, well, um, invite Jesus into your heart. Well, that's good, and that's a good thing to say, but that really isn't the gospel. Paul is talking about something here. He says, this is the thing that I do. The gospel I gospelize, the gospel you receive, the gospel on which you stand, and the gospel by which you are saved. He said, of course, here, unless, unless you believed in vain. And he's going to entertain that thought later in the chapter to basically say if it's not objectively true in history, if Christ was not raised, well, in fact, you did believe in vain just throws that out at this point. But that's how important it is. That is, without this, without the resurrection, without the gospel, you're not saved. In fact, you are lost, he would say later. You're of all men most miserable. But he goes on to say we've passed it on. Well, that's important. We're not really uh, authors and inventors of the God. We're delivery boys. Uh, we pass it on. So really what I'm going to talk about is not up for debate today. Uh, when he sets it out, that's just it. Take it or leave it. It's something you pass on. And then he says, look at this, I delivered to you first of all. 
Some of translations would say of great importance or primary importance. It's the word in premise, if you get that thing from Hillsdale College. First things would be another way to talk about it. That is, this is ultimate, not penultimate. This is absolutely primary. And I couldn't think of a better theme in this early chapel in the semester to say, let's look again. Let's look in detail at how Paul, how God scripturally defines the gospel. And he says again, once again, just so we'll get it, this is the gospel that you received. And he says to adding now that I received. So this is not something that Paul made up. This is something he received. This is a matter of revelation. So that's the emphasis, declaring the gospel. And if you're a student here at this seminary or a professor or a pastor, this is the thing to emphasize or just a Christian of any kind, just happen to be here today. This is the thing. If you're talking to someone, you must not omit. If you're preaching a sermon, you must not water it down. You must not confuse it. This is the thing. So now, what is it? Now let's define it. Let's see it. And it's marked out with that word in verse 3, that. 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 And there are four of these in this big definition. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that, number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now certainly you want to preach Jesus. And you want to preach the cross. But that isn't the gospel. The full gospel, according to Paul. Uh, sometimes we just start off with Jesus as if he just dropped down from heaven and that that's the beginning but when he uses this word Messiah or Christ it's very important when you have opportunity if you're preaching to go back and to say actually this began with Abraham or you could go back to the garden if you want but actually God promised Abraham that he would have descendants and have a seed and through that person all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that you, you mentioned that there was a promised one. There was a Messiah. The Jews were to expect someone. For Paul, that is part of the gospel. It doesn't just start with Matthew. It goes back. I love the way Matthew in his gospel keeps repeating that it might be fulfilled by the prophet, that it might be fulfilled by the prophet. I think there are six or seven of those right away in Matthew. Matthew is linking the arrival of Jesus to the notion of the Messiah of the Christ. And for Paul, that's very important. But you don't just preach Jesus, you preach that Christ died. That's the second thing. That Christ died. That's the central moment, the cross. And I want to be careful here to say we can actually come up short if we just preached the death of Christ. You and I growing up in church or being in a seminary context, when we say Christ died for you, that, that means something much more to us. But there's some people out there that think, you know, Abraham Lincoln died for a cause. Martin Luther King Jr. died for a cause. Soldiers in Afghanistan or Iraq, they die for a cause. And they're thinking of that. When you say Christ died for you, they're thinking vaguely of something like that. And it's very important that we don't stop there. But Paul says, Christ died for our sins. That's essential if you want to get to the power of the gospel. Christ 
died for our sins. And he adds to that according to the scriptures. He undergirds that by saying, not only do you look to the Old Testament for the idea of the, the Messiah, for the notion of the Christ, but you look back to the Old Testament for this notion and this idea and this theology of Christ's death, that it was a payment, that it was a substitution, that it was a ransom, that it was a redemption. This is the way to understand the cross, not just to say Jesus, not just to say Jesus died for you, but to say that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. So John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the way to talk about the cross. This is the way to preach the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Secondly, that he was buried. Well, if we leave out that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, it's very common for us to leave out the, the burial. But he has four of these that statements here and this is one of them that he was buried that is a that's a gospel point for Paul it's very interesting the burial of Christ is in all four gospels the burial of Christ is in the Apostles Creed the burial of Christ is in the Nicene Creed and we're perhaps looking actually at the oldest written words in the New Testament other than let's say Old Testament quotes that were added in or maybe some uh, uh, philosophical quotes that Paul would roll out from time to time but the oldest new theological quotes many scholars believe this paragraph was a kind of a creed in the early church is perhaps the earliest formation of words that Paul is pulling in that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to 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 this this thing that the early church members would say when they gathered together that Christ died for our sins according to the Holy Scripture that he was buried is there some finality to that when I was a kid in East Texas I had a dog named Spike he was hit by a car um, we found him with a rope tied to his leg out in the woods dead somebody had hit him and taken him out to the woods and it was a sad day but we thought we should have a funeral it was my first sermon I was a nine I think and I uh, read Psalm 23 and we had a prayer we actually sort of you know how you play things when you're children you know play policemen cops and robbers and we were playing church and we thought it was fun it was sort of novel and that rope um, we buried the dog and the rope was sort of sticking out of the grave and we said you know a couple of days later that was fun uh, let's go back and play church again and we pulled we got the rope and pulled the dog out of the grave you know and tried to do it all again I told a friend about this and he had done the same thing with a cat again and again um, but no matter how many times we pulled that dog out to try to redo that funeral he was always dead there's something about the the burial and the death and the finality that's very powerful and that's why uh, frankly I think Islam wants to erase this part the crucifixion of Christ and the death of Christ because it's the setup for the miracle it's the setup for the power that's to come that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried a very final thing and of course that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures the third point do not forget this it's so common when we're sharing the gospel to someone individually or in a sermon 
that we just said, do you know that Christ died? Maybe we get to that. Maybe you know that Christ died for your sins. I hope we get to that. But there's real power, folks, in saying Christ died for your sins and he rose again the third day. Don't forget that. This is the gospel, Paul says, that is the power of God unto salvation in Romans 1. It includes the resurrection. I love the word picture in Bunyan when the fellow old pilgrim has got the uh, backpack of sin and he's wandering around. He's trying to find relief and he goes to Mount Sinai. He thinks he's going to find relief under the law and actually the thing is hanging over the trail, the peak of the mountain, and it's about to crush him. The law is just going to crush him. And he goes here and he goes there. He doesn't find relief. And finally, in the vision, he sees the cross. And when he sees the cross, the backpack just falls off and rolls into an empty tomb. That's it. That's it. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins and was buried and he rose. The tense is actually that he is still risen still risen according to the scriptures and you might want to mention this that in Luke 24 and in um, Matthew 12 uh, we are told that um, that it had to be this way because the scriptures say that the Christ had to suffer and be raised from the dead or as the as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights so the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth according to the scriptures Psalm 16 neither Will you suffer your Holy One to see decay or to suffer corruption? This was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Bring that out when time will allow. That Christ died, that he was buried, that he was raised, and that he appeared. That's the fourth element. Oh, and we all have probably been guilty of leaving this out, but it's part of the power. That he was seen. That he was seen. Do you say that to people? We ought to say that to people. It's very important. It's in the Bible. And here's the list. And I think uh, a lot of people want to minimize the role of apologetics. But I think uh, Paul would, uh, would beg to differ here because I can't imagine what else is going on here but some sort of a, a little evidential apologetic. Uh, it's not the main thing. It's not the only thing. He he just states the facts, obviously. He also goes into the Old Testament, obviously. But here, he's going to lay on them uh, a little apologetics, uh, a little evidentialism. And he says, look, um, he appeared. And he was seen by Cephas. Uh, that's not just anybody. That's the guy who denied him. That's Peter. You say, oh, there's sympathetic witnesses. No, this was the guy that was very unlikely to, to believe. Um, to the twelve. You see that? Um, that's uh, probably a technical term for those who knew him. Uh, then the 500. This is probably um, uh, the passage in Matthew uh, 28. Um, the people that saw him. Uh, then James. You say, oh, these are you know likely witnesses. Not likely that his brother who with the other family members were sort of skeptical most of the time. Not likely, not a likely witness here. That theory doesn't work. Then the apostles. This is probably the ascension at Olivet, uh, probably that group. And last of all, me. Untimely birth. 
uh, one who liked gestation. He had no, this is a man who did not follow Jesus and had no build up ministry time with Jesus, but just got zapped. And not just that, this was an actual opponent. He goes on to say, I was persecuting. I was persecuting the church of God in verse 9. So how unlikely is it that this man would see the risen Christ, but see him he did. And so we make this case. We preach and we witness and we emphasize the gospel. We emphasize that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to hundreds of people. It's just a shorthand way of saying that sometimes. Well, that's not the end because Paul wants to make sure in verse 10 to emphasize grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me and even the ministry of the gospel, but the grace of God which was with me is his labor, essentially, and his abundant labor. The only way to explain it is God's grace. His, he was saved by grace, called by grace, and his effective ministry is effective because of grace. That's what he's saying. And so we certainly, when we preach the gospel, want to emphasize this is a gift. This is something that God does. And the other thing we want to emphasize is in verse 11. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach. He's back to that theme from verse 1 and 2. So we preach, and so you believe. When I think of this, uh, many of you are going to be preachers. And I want to say, when in doubt, preach the gospel. When you're doing the Lord's Supper, obviously, preach the gospel. When you have a baptism in your church, preach the gospel. That's what Paul said he preached. Count Zinzendorf said, preach the gospel. Die and be forgotten. That's pretty good. One Sunday night at my church, I probably made a mistake. I agreed to have a play, a drama, a uh, theatrical Jim Elliott sort of a deal. And uh, the star of the play who played Jim Elliott uh, came up to me afterwards and said, you don't know me, you don't remember me, do you? I said, well, no, I don't. He said, several years ago, I was at your church on Easter with a girlfriend. And he said, while you were preaching, I believed. I didn't come forward, but while you were preaching, I believed. That can happen when you're preaching the gospel. Paul says, so we preach and so you believe. It's early in the semester, and I want to say, when you hear that Christ died for your sins today, whatever baggage you bring to this campus, whatever doubts, whatever fears, whatever sin, lying, lust, theft, even murder, whatever you've brought, you can be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Look to Jesus. Trust Jesus. Take Jesus. This is the gospel. In the 80s, I went with the Pattersons to China. 
And there are a lot of stories we don't want to tell about that trip. But I went to see the tomb of Mao Zedong. Uh, here's a man who was an atheist, who ended up with his own little red Bible, communism Bible. And they just worshipped him by the hundreds and thousands every day. They just lined up at the Tiananmen Square. And it was like Madame Tussauds. I mean, it was wax. When you looked in that casket, just wax. And there was a lot of um, stench. And they were guarding this dead leader with machine guns and hand grenades. And I thought, man, he is so dead. And it reminded me of Dr. Criswell and what he said about linen in 1924. He went to Lennon's tomb. And um, Criswell recited the, the plaque there at Lennon's tomb in 1924. Here lies Vladimir Lennon. He was the greatest leader of all time. He was the greatest teacher of mankind. He was the author of a new social order. He was the savior of the world. And Dr. Crystal said, unknown to the Grand Council of Soviet Socialist Republics, they spelled the very doom of communism and atheism in the tense of the word. He was the greatest leader. He was the greatest teacher. He was the author of a new social order. He was the savior of the world. Jesus Christ is alive, is. He is the greatest teacher of all time. He is the greatest leader of all time. He is the author of a new social order, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, and he is the savior of the world. Preach him and believe on him. God bless you.